0: Love, talk Radio. Good morning everyone. This is Stuart Crawford coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This is Small Business IT Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. BlogTalkRadio.com is a place to come to for any of your podcasts, webcasts. If you're just starting out and want to get into this, no big investment actually it doesn't cost anything to get started on Blog Talk Radio. It's got a an account and the world is your audience. And Small Business IT Radio is a show geared to IT professionals that are looking at growing their business and getting some tools and some resources and just some advice and where to turn to get us over that that hump from being a technician to being an entrepreneur and growing our business. And uh, you know, at the end of 2007, coming up here in the next few weeks, we got an exciting, we a couple more shows coming up before uh, the end of the year, and uh, we got an exciting lineup coming for 2008. And jumping right into today, we, uh, I'm very honored to have a great guest with me today. A little bit of history before I uh, introduce our guest. I, I was referred to a good friend uh, by a good friend of mine named Gavin Steiner, and some of you may know Gavin from Interprom in Barrie, Ontario. Gavin and I were chatting one night, and he told me I had to read this book. It was called Flawless Execution. And I, um, I had it sat on my shelf for a few few weeks, few months maybe, and one day I was looking through my bookshelf on my queue of books to read, and I, something grabbed this book, and and, uh, I started to, and I started to read it. Well, it was one of the best books I read in 2007. It really drove home some of the points of, you know, why we struggle in the small business market to, you know, win market share, you know, get up in the morning and just come into the office and get things done. It really... Uh, Made me understand some of the some of the limiting factors of why I'm in business and some of my belief systems how they all work. So I recommend this book, Flawless Execution. We'll talk about it several times over the next uh, next 50 minutes or so. But I want to introduce our guest today uh, is Rick White, and Rick is the Chief Executive for Afterburner Limited, focusing on the Canadian UK market maybe a few others there. Rick, and Rick is a former a retired U.S. Air Force uh, fighter pilot. Uh, did a number of years in the U- U.S. Air Force and retired and uh, went to work with Afterburner and leads uh, Afterburner's uh, Canadian, again, Canadian and U- U.K. markets, and I think there's a few others. But he did 23-plus uh, 23 years, 23 years in the U.S. Uh, Air Force, instructing uh, T-38A, supersonic fighters, uh, F-16s, and a whole uh, uh, hockey bag of uh, other jets probably in their record. Anyway, I want, to wish, uh, I want to bring Rick onto the show. Good morning, Rick, how, and how are things uh, with you this morning?
1: Good morning, Stuart. I'm very, very excited
0: to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, things are going
1: very well today. Um, great day out here. A little bit of snow where I'm sitting, but uh, all in all, a very good day.
0: So, Rick, tell us a little bit about Afterburner, uh, and then we can get into the book a little bit. Where, how did Afterburner, what was the... What was the vision like in the early days, you know, how did Afterburner get started? What were the early goals, and are you on that track today to accom- accomplish those uh, early, uh, the early vision of the company?
1: I believe the, uh, the company
0: is, uh, is
1: on its track to, to uh, pursue those goals, but we're not quite there yet. As, as with any small business, it's growing, and it's a growing concern. I came on uh, shortly after uh, the inception of Afterburner. Uh, but I can talk to it a little bit. Um, Afterburner, first of all, is a, a group of men and women fighter pilots who have taken the concepts uh, that they've gained from their military aviation careers in the, in the world of single-seat, two-seat uh, fighter activity and taken those concepts, molded them into business concepts where we're presenting those same types of um, performance issues in a business context. Um, It was uh, conceived by um, Jim Murphy back in 1996 or so when he was working for a a paint company, actually, uh, selling paint to stores such as the Home Depot um, stores and the large box stores. Um, He was uh, pretty much a top seller, a top salesperson in the industry. And his boss came to him one day and said, you know, why don't you build us a sales training program that will help the rest of us? So he had been thinking about a lot of the concepts that he'd been learning in his military aviation career, and that's what he was using to be so successful. So he actually separated and uh, started the concept of afterburning using those same concepts that he's learned as a fighter pilot and teaching other small businesses how to build their sales forces, build their activities through the process of continuous improvement, uh, which we now call flawless execution, and it is a, a four-step continuous improvement methodology that we use each and every single day that helps us,
0: uh, helps us survive on the battlefield,
1: improve, and ultimately win.
0: That's a, that's a great concept, uh, Rick. Tell us a little bit about you and uh, your, your career and maybe touch back even into the, uh, the days when you were fo- uh, flying jets. Oh, absolutely. I um I can still remember the um, uh, the day
1: I decided what I wanted to do, and that was fly jets. Um, it was at an air show uh, many, many years ago. And uh, I saw the Blue Angels, the uh, U.S. Navy Blue Angels, fly in an de- air demonstration and looked at that and decided that's what I really wanted to do. Um, pursued... Um, uh, an appointment to the United States Air Force Academy and uh, finished four years there. Um, Actually had an electrical engineering degree in in digital communications. Uh, I don't know if you remember back that far, Stuart, to the 8-inch floppy disks. I noticed uh, on your website uh, you're looking for one of the oldest operating computers
0: in the local area there. Yeah, that's uh, one of our concepts we have going this month, we're looking at the oldest one. I think uh, the 8-inch floppy disk uh, kind of predates my, uh, <laughs> my IT career, though. Well, I thought it might, uh, along with
1: all the machine code I used to do back then. But um, I actually um, was commissioned an Air Force officer shortly after that and uh, went on to pilot training to where I, I um, stayed and uh, became an instructor pilot uh, in the T-38. And... Spent about four or five years there before moving on to the F-16 and and joining the fighter community. Uh, Spent uh, many tours uh, around the U.S. and around the world, um, flying the F-16 and employing it throughout uh,
0: uh, many areas. I uh, I remember my uh, my days in the Canadian military. Like I said, we we had a pre-chat. I was telling you I was with the artillery, the Royal Canadian Horse Artillery, and I was working in the regimental command post and. In our battlefield simulations, one of the things I always got to rush is when the uh, CF-18s would do their uh, contour flying and buzz our command post on a mock uh, attack. Those things were loud. They were, I mean, what a wonderful machine. So It must have been a a real joy to uh, have uh, the ability to fly those things, but to harness that power, Rick, I mean, there's a lot of power in those jets. There is a lot of power, and it's it's a
1: total concentration when you're up there. You you you've got to put everything else out of your mind, and everything has to be completely focused on the task at hand. And and I think you can imagine, although it's a thrill to watch it from the ground, uh, that's probably the most dangerous uh, arena we are in is when we are close to the ground, uh, maneuvering in and out of canyons or uh, along a uh, an edge of a. Um, uh, a, a ravine or something of that nature because it, it is split-second timing that you're putting forth, and like I said, all of your concentration has to be out the front of the airplane and where you're going at that
0: time. So what can, what lessons can we learn from that experience of being concentrated on the task at hand and relate that to business? I mean, that's what Afterburner does. It takes those concepts you learned in the, in the U.S. Air Force and apply them to business world today. So, I mean, maybe we could just start there as, you know, The concentration at the task at hand. Oh, absolutely. How can you write that in business?
1: Well, it's it's really about um, you know the focus of your business and the focus of of what should be important to you at at any given time. You know, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that um, as we're flying in that low level arena, that low level environment. Um, we do in the cockpit have many, many tasks um, to accomplish at any given time. I mean, if you've looked into a modern day fighter, um, you can see that there's at least three different screens, and are surrounding each one of those CRTs is uh, buttons, five buttons aside. So, um, many, many different displays, many, many different pieces of information coming in to the front office, as it were, uh, at any given time. Just like any business or any small business. Um, I'm sure an individual um, at any given time has massive amount of information coming into and directions that they should head, um, other markets that they might want to pursue, other business opportunities that might be right out there just in time. But really it's about keeping the focus um, of your business, where you've decided, what your strategic objectives should be, and then how they portray down to your tactical objectives in the time at hand. So it's really about staying focused. And when we do lose our focus, um, sometimes we have the potential to lose um, more than just the airplane, even our lives. Uh, For just a moment, um, uh, uh, losing—I guess we'd liken it to looking inside the cockpit or looking inside the front office and spending too much time trying to dig information out of one of the displays and not paying enough time or uh, enough attention to outside the cockpit, and the ground comes up uh, a little quicker than you're recognizing. We call that task saturation. Now, you're getting task saturated on the internal cockpit or the inner office duties and not paying attention of the actual business at hand, driving
0: your business right into the ground, as it were. Now, there's a great example on the DVD that I received from Afterburner when I went to the website and signed up for the, the free DVD that you send out on the Eastern Airlines flight that crashed into the Everglades, I think it was in the early 70s. That yes. was a classic example of uh, task saturation. But, Rick, maybe we could talk about that for those people that haven't seen the DVD yet. Maybe we can explain what happened in that in that instance uh, back in the early 70s with Eastern Airlines.
1: Sure, you bet. Um, that uh, that accident occurred in, as you said, the early 70s on a uh, um, an Eastern Airlines flight from LaGuardia down to Miami International. And it... Um, it actually the problems the issue started on just about a ten mile final there where um, the right seater or the co-pilot was in charge of flying the leg. It was his um, opportunity to land the airplane to fly the airplane, and uh, he called for the gear down. Uh, the captain reached up and put the gear handle down and noticed that there were only two good gear indication lights illuminated. The uh,
0: now, and the normally left, there are three, right?
1: Yeah, normally there are three. And the left and the right main gear were down and locked, but the nose wheel light uh, was not illuminated, indicating that it was potentially an unsafe nose wheel gear indication. Well, they uh, they wound up doing a low approach and took the airplane around and uh, got it back up on downwind, taking it out uh, for another circuit around the pattern, as it were, trying to figure out what had happened. Captain pulled out his checklist, started going through the checklist items, and um, First officer was flying the airplane. Basically, they had put it on autopilot at this time, and and now all three of them started to uh, work the issue, as it were. All three of them being the captain in the left seat, the uh, first officer or the co-pilot in the right seat, and in this airplane there was a flight engineer uh, sitting sideways in the back. Now. We talk about task saturation, and the saturation point at this was that um, the airplane was apparently flying by itself okay, and all three of them were concentrating on this little light bulb or an attempt to make sure they had a safe gear indication. What winds up happening is that um, the first officer, the co-pilot, whose responsibility it is to fly this airplane, starts to get involved in this process, looks up and uh, is messing with this little light bulb since it's on his side of the cockpit and accidentally bumps the control wheel, which disengages the autopilot. The aircraft starts to descend at this time, and uh, they're not paying attention to what is really important with the business, as it were, flying the airplane, which is really what's important at this point. All three of them are trying to work this light bulb out or trying to figure out what's going on, and the next thing you know... um, they're at 100 feet, and um, they're amazed, and they can't they can't really figure out what's going on, and the airplane does crash. And uh, unfortunately, 99 people lost their lives that night, um, mostly because uh, they f- flew it into the ground. They weren't paying attention to the right things in their business at the right time, and were concentrating on just a little 20-cent piece of lighting equipment. So it was, uh, it was a pretty devastating experience. Um, um,
0: uh, Thing that happened as a result of just a burned-out light bulb. Now that's uh, you know that's an uh, example that really you know drives the message home. Rick, what happens in a day-to-day business when when entrepreneurs or even managers get you know so saturated with tasks? Is there you know as if, if me as a as a manager or even an owner of my own business, is there things I can behaviors I can identify that could you know help me? Uh, to uh, you know, get some early alerts that maybe some of my staff are, are suffering from task saturation. You know, Stuart, you
1: you hit it on the head there. Ninety percent of um, defeating task saturation is recognizing recognizing the potential number one, and recognizing that it what your characteristics are, your specific characteristics that you exude every time uh, you do become task saturated. Think think about your daily activities. You come into the office. Uh, I'm sure you're there by 6:30 at least. And um, the first thing that happens is uh, you're picking up messages and emails and, and noticing all those little red exclamation marks next to all the emails and all these things that have to get done for the day, requiring responses and, and 20 uh, voicemail messages that are coming in and, and clients that are needing this or that. And so you start working those issues immediately. and. Uh, phone starts ringing about um, employees who are going to be late uh, due to weather or other employees who are sick uh, or not going to be in. So, you know, it just starts to build. And it's it's a, um, a building effect where you really don't recognize um, you're becoming task-saturated until all of a sudden you are. So, again, recognizing those um, areas of potential task saturation is highly important. In the airline business, um, I've been an uh, airline pilot for a major airline that's no longer bankrupt uh, for about the last 10 years, and um, I can tell you honestly that um, I have never uh, pushed back an airplane, started an airplane, taxied an airplane, take it off, level off, descend, land, and park that airplane without first accomplishing a challenge and response checklist. Now... Those items, those areas that I just mentioned in the performance of that flight, um, are known areas of task saturation. So when we're doing duties in those areas, we're using a checklist um, to challenge and respond to each other that we've accomplished those items, that those switches and or configuration changes are in the exact place that they should be. And I challenge... Um, any of our uh, audience, any of our listeners there that um, know areas of task-saturating areas. Do you have something like a checklist that you can use or that will prompt you to remember that, hey, I'm getting ready to walk into an area where I know I'm going to be overwhelmed or saturated? Um, do I know what to expect? Do I know what's going to happen? And have I got a, a, a tick-off checklist that I can do to, to get me through it?
0: Well, I like Those the checklist one the idea, Rick. For one, for the main reason I like the checklist is because hey, you know, you're right, in the airline industry, the pushback, the all the other checks you have to do kind of keeps you on on track. And when you're overwhelmed or, you know, really busy, we tend, uh, the human nature, to tend to take shortcuts. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, I, I can speak on my own, when I recognize my own task saturation, I know that I try to take shortcuts around things and to the point where when I'm just, totally saturated with tassi. I just shut myself into a room and close the blinds and just take a break for half an hour just to get my thoughts fixed. I get that overwhelming feeling. And I really like the idea of the checklist. And I know I challenge all of our other small business IT professionals listening to the program today. Is Do you have a checklist when you go into a client? Do you have a checklist when you do in quality assurance? Uh, I know the Air Force, Rick, believes in, ch- in checklists. Us in the Canadian military, we had checklists for everything. We had uh, books that we kept on us and you know, in our uh, in our uniforms when we're out in, in uh, field exercises, how to do section tactics. Uh, yeah, you were on a roll there about checklists. Maybe you want to expand on the importance of that.
1: Yeah, let me uh, let me back up for just a second, though, and uh, and talk to a little bit about um, um, the task saturation aspect. I said ninety percent of it was recognition, and um, we, we do call it the silent killer because of its insidious onset. And I told you just a little bit about you know, uh, look at your daily activities and and what what brings on your task saturation and and at what level do you become task saturated? Um, I know that, uh, or at least the flight members in my flight know when I'm task saturated because some of my first, um, as you mentioned earlier, some of my first activities is I just stop communicating. I'm like you. I want to go back and just sit down and relax and and, and pull out of it. So when they hear me start to stop talking on the radio or, or, um, communicating with them about known points where I should be saying something or responding to their queries, they know that there's something going on in my cockpit that I'm a little overwhelmed at the time, and they'll start watching my back. They'll start adding that mutual support to where if we are in a low-level scenario, um, they'll make sure that I'm not flying below them, or they'll make sure I'm not flying too close to the ground, or they'll actually come up and say, hey, you seem to be task-saturated. Recognize it and fix it. Um, now, the, the checklist activities is one of the um, items we use in known areas of task saturation to alleviate or mitigate the potential of it. The mutual support concept of having your buddies know what your task saturation looks like or when you are task saturated is another technique. And then we do focusing techniques that um, we call uh, cross-checks and uh, to help um, you know, tasks shed or to eliminate the uh, the uh, producers of task saturation, but you know, getting back to the checklists, um, I, I can I can remember one time uh, in a training scenario, I was um, actually flying out of Homestead Air Force Base, Florida, and it was a, um, a simple two versus two, or two airplanes versus two airplanes, and um, we were playing the uh, adversaries, and it was our job to uh, um, head down south and turn around and come back at the friendly forces and provide a target for them. So we're heading down um, towards uh, the south out of uh, out of Miami, uh, 30,000 feet, just pushing down towards um, uh, Cuba. I could see the coastline of Cuba. It was a beautiful day, actually. And looking down below me from 30,000 feet, looking at the waves cresting below me, thinking to myself, you know, if I can see the white caps from this altitude, it must be a rough day down there, and I sure hope nothing happens. Well, as we're starting to make the turn back to the north, something does happen. I get a... Uh, Get a warning indication on my um, my glare shield, and it just and the uh, the audible warning sign comes on and says warning warning, and um, there's just two things that are associated with the light I see, one's the uh, hydraulics on the airplane and or the oil system. Um, there's backup hydraulics and. Um, I look at that first and recognize that there's no problem there. And the bad news is it actually is the oil system that's that's out of whack, uh, the oil system in the one engine that I have on board. Um, so I'm thinking to myself that, um, you know, this could be a very, very bad day. I could be using that uh, silk parachute letdown and uh, put myself into a situation where I'm not exactly on the top of the food chain on, on those white caps down there. So... You know I'd like to like to think that um, I was not task saturated, but with the light on the glare shield, with the audible warning with my flight leader yelling at me to get in position, with um, my altitude bearing, trying to maintain aircraft control at the same time as we're coming back around, and sight of my flight leader two miles away, um, I had a little bit going on in the cockpit there. You can
0: imagine, yep, a little bit. And
1: and you you can just think of how overwhelmed or saturated an individual could be and the ability to concentrate on, number one, fly the airplane, Um, and and liken that to your business, liken that to uh, all the different inputs that are coming in on you at any given time with all the items we talked about just a few minutes ago. And um, think about where your focus should now be. And, uh, you know, at that point in time, it's like, where should it be? Well, it obviously has to be on this engine situation and I've gotta perform right here, right now, and get the right tasks that need to be accomplished. And I'd like to say that I did that with you know, pure fighter pilot ease, but the reality was is you know, you freeze sometimes and you really don't know what's going on. But the good news is is um you've got that checklist. You've got that checklist, you pull it open to the page labeled engine Uh, oil warning during flight, and it tells you immediately, throttle mid-range, jettison stores, start the emergency power unit, and as soon as you read the first one, you've got it memorized anyway, and you're pressing on because you know your business, you know what you're supposed to do, you know you've had your training. And sure enough, you put it on the ground and walk back in, change your flight suit, and you're a hero in your own mind. But the key point there is that um, uh, the checklist not only helps you when you're getting in known areas of task saturation, but it also can get you out of areas once you've already been task saturated and help you think through processes that will pull
0: you back out of it. Now, Rick, you, men- you mentioned the checklist and you had it there readily available. What I find in small businesses is that we're all so consumed with day-to-day uh, activities and we're-, we're thinking tactically in the most of our day-to-day uh, business operations. Uh, I would think you know preparation of checklists is more of a strategic exercise. However, you know where I'm the CEO, the president, the VP of marketing, the the uh, bottle washer down the hall, uh, clean the kitchens, and maybe scrub the toilets. You know, we're, we're wearing lots of hats, and uh, mm, yes. you know that I would I would see that kind of stuff kind of falls like to the wish list list, and uh, I mean. I, I'm sure you know preparation of the checklist and stuff for when you bring them, even if you don't have any employees today, you want to have that kind of stuff in in hand just for that when that day comes. but you know I'm sure you see that in all the you know a lot of the companies that you work with that hey, we don't even know where to start with a checklist, so where can a company start in developing something like this?
1: Well, it's uh, that, that's a great question, and um, as you're thinking, I've just actually thought about how I've adapted those same concepts to to afterburner and uh, and the administrative processes that we do in the office all the time. I mean, we have um, we had a, a thing in the Air Force that um, you know everybody rotates every two and a half years, and you basically go off and do another assignment. And the real issue there is how can somebody you know be in a job for two and a half years, move, and then somebody else come in new and pick up the pace immediately. Well, there, there was uh, obviously a, um, a continuity folder or a continuity book is what we used to keep that had all of the job specifications and all of the um, checklists associated with what needed to be done on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis in that job in order to be successful. Now, that was a very, very good way for an individual to walk into a job cold and quickly, quickly get up to, the res- up to speed on the responsibilities that need to be accomplished by that job. So when we're, we're looking at our, our business aspects of that, each job obviously has a description of some sort and responsibilities associated with it, and I, and I believe that uh, many organizations out there have uh, probably a couple of pages or manuals filled with uh, how to do those responsibilities. A checklist is not really the, the overall manual It is a distillation of that manual into specific action items that need to happen um, on a periodic basis or on a regular basis um, that that individual might have to do. Um, It it is um, broken into, in my opinion, two different aspects, normal procedures and emergency procedures, and I think we've discussed both of those already. The normal procedures are those day-to-day activities or that week-to-week activities, and the emergency procedures are in the event that something goes entirely wrong or off kilter. What are the first three or four steps that somebody needs to do to notify somebody to uh, to take action that, that needs to happen on some potential or
0: known emergencies that could prop up? So we can relate that in in, in our practice, business practice here is that you know the day-to-day operations could be a checklist could be drafted up on when you, when you go to new when you go to a client's office. What are the first uh, half a dozen things you need to do: see our contact, uh, log into the server, check the logs, check the uh, all the update services. Like you know, are the software updates happening? Are the antivirus updates happening? And then the emergency one is: hey, what happens if a uh, uh, array controller and a server fails? What are the steps to get that server back up and running? And you know, who do you contact? Do you contact the vendor? Do you talk, contact internal people? And all the IT people listening, of course, know exactly what I'm talking about. I know if they're not in the IT business or going, what's Stuart saying? But uh, again, it you can relate that to any business, You know, what's the day to day activities and again, what's the emergency activities. But and Rick, you know, that that's all great. And that kind of leads us up into the next the next kind of topic where we'd like to spend the last you know, the last, next half hour on as well. And just a quick reminder for those I didn't get a chance to announce it earlier, We we can take some live phone calls and we'll have some time uh, here on the program to take some live calls if you want to if you have a question you'd like to ask uh, Rick on task saturation or or planning which we're going to talk about in a few minutes here the dial- in number is area code six four six seven one six eight three seven two and we also have the chat window available through the small business IT website you can just click on the chat and we'll take some uh, uh, question via the chat window if you don't want to dial in so Rick you know we We've got the checklist in place, but you know the next step I want to kind of move into is around the planning and the procedures around getting all that done, because that's critical before you can even do any of this other stuff. I'm sure you're on that scenario telephone you're flying over uh, you know flying south of Florida. you can see Cuba, uh, and you had that emergency come up. But before you even got off the ground, I'm sure you had a plan of action in place uh, to go you know, what, what what are you going to do that day? how's it going to look? What do a lot of businesses uh you know, you we heard the old saying, you uh fail the plan, the plan to fail, I'm sure. And a lot of I saw are. that
1: one just the other day as a matter of fact, um that somebody had sent back to me and uh, and thanked for uh, a couple of plans we helped them put together with and and yeah, you're right. Let's let's clarify one thing. I wasn't over top of Cuba. Let me make sure
0: that was Yeah, no, you're on well, you, were, you saw <laughs> it from the <laughs> That's right.
1: The, yeah, the um it is uh, it you know, before we do venture out in a training scenario or an actual scenario like that, there's a, there's a lot of planning that goes into um, setting that whole scenario up or setting that whole flight up or setting that whole operation up. And, you know, most businesses do an okay job at planning. They, they actually do pretty good at planning um, for what they do. But in um, the adage you talked about, you know, fail to plan or um, plan to fail, uh, does happen. If you refuse to do it and you just jump into it and you're ready, fire, aim, um, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, but we find that most organizations we do work with have a, a, a good handle on the planning concepts, but, but what they plan to do is where we find that they, they are making a lot of mistakes. When we look at the planning scenario, we start with um, very, very specific objectives. And creating the specific objective is probably the most difficult part of that. And I'd say that if any organization has a failure in their planning, that's probably where it starts. When we talk about an objective, we talk about um, a a clear and specific mission objective, one that's measurable, one that's actually achievable, and one that supports the overall vision or the overall future picture of the organization. Is that like uh, beginning with the end in mind type scenario? It
0: it is. It it
1: is actually... um, Supporting the overall vision of the organization um, is is it, does it link up to the strategy to to the strategic documents is what you're doing? Does it have its place in the overall organization's strategy? And then yes, the objective itself is, um, when I've completed this thing, what does it look like? Um, how did it finish? What were the results? what What did it do to affect the overall system as it were? So think of the end in mind as you're creating the objective. But at Afterburner, we we do teach that um, it has to be very clear and understood by everybody attempting to accomplish the plan because if it's not understood or if it's understood differently by one group as opposed to another, you're going to have very different results um, and what it looks like at the end. So you're right, picturing that end in mind and painting that end in mind um, very clearly up front is very important. So I'm sure everybody's heard of the SMART objective concepts, and they can all spell the word SMART, but can you actually put it down on paper when you're, when you're looking at your objectives that are time-bound, that are resourced, that have all of those qualities of, of being very specific, measurable, achievable, resourced, and time-bound? Once we have that objective um, created and laid out in a, um, a sentence format, for that matter, it's now time to, to look for some more information, identify the threats, uh, in your, uh, to achieving your objective. What is standing in your way? What are the barriers? What are the threats to your success? And just as a way of thinking of those threats, we will look at um, internal threats, internal to the organization, what's going to stand in our way internally, and then what is going to stand in our way externally. I think the external ones are, are pretty simple. We can always think of the competition that's out there that is getting in our way to achieving our, our sales figures, if that happened to be our objective or, or to whatever else it might be.
0: Kind of like a SWOT um, analysis, Rick?
1: Yeah, a SWOT analysis, um, of absolutely, uh, looking at all the internal and external. There's also some um, some other aspects of internal um, Threats that might get away, such as complacency within the workforce or indifference and, and apathy, uh, which always always have to be guarded against when you're doing the same type of tasks over and over and over again, to add new life, new vigor, new uh, interest in those work, those individuals, so that they're not being pulled into that uh, that attitude that this is just the same old same old thing every day. And and I think um, you know as I look back on my my Air Force career my flying it's um, you know going up and doing training mission after training mission after training mission you know it, it can be thought that you know this is just the same old thing just different day and the reality is is um, you know we build into that aspect that this yeah it's the same airspace we're going out to it's the same type of mission but it's really about um, having one hundred percent focus on the task at hand so understanding that those those threats can put a, uh, a real kink, as it were, in your business plans. You have to understand uh, where they're coming from. Once we've um, once we've identified the threats, it's now time to, to look at the available resources. What resources do you have available on your team uh, within your organization that you can bring to bear not only one to achieve the objective but also potentially to mitigate those threats? So we look at some of those top threats and we look at some of the resources and and uh, something that now looked as though it might have been formidable uh, and maybe just stopping us in our tracks. If we can apply some of our corporate resources against those threats, we might be able to uh, lower lower the threat or maybe even potentially go around them or eliminate them altogether. And now they're not so formidable, and we can see a way through to our objective or achieving our objective. And I'm going through six steps right now, and... Uh, The um, the fourth step is to um, actually evaluate lessons learned. Somebody around here has attempted to achieve this objective in the past. Somebody uh, in our team has done something similar or somebody out there has written down notes to the way they've achieved it. Bring in as much information from um, past uh, executions. And I, I emphasize executions because when you're evaluating lessons learned, it's really not a pontification of what could be. You want to see actual plans or actual activities that have met the test of of attempted achievement, that they've met the battlefield test, that they've gone out there and either succeeded or or not succeeded. And that's where we draw our lessons from and look at those lessons and see how we can bring them into our plan of action and how we can develop those lessons into um, maybe activities or or action steps that uh, that will help us mitigate or eliminate uh, some issues that that people have seen to be issues in the past, and look at the positive lessons that um, where people have been highly successful, and how we might implement that as well, or pull that into our plan. Now, these first four steps, as I said, uh, develop the mission objective, identify your threats, identify your available resources, and evaluate lessons learned, is really. Nothing more than an information gathering um, up to this point. You're really trying to pull all of that information together to work with um, before you start to actually develop your courses of action as we go on to step five in our, in our planning process. Step five is to develop um, specific action steps, specific actions that your team members or whoever will be implementing this plan have to execute associated with an accountability and a timeline and we, we pull those action steps together. And the way we do it when we're teaching organizations to do that is it's really about a brainstorm activity. Let's get everything up there that we think that needs to happen in the course of accomplishing this business, this objective. And I always refer to that objective because everything we do is working back towards that specific objective. And if it doesn't apply to accomplishing that objective, it's not considered. But the brainstorming activities, just get everything up there on the wall, on the flip chart paper, on the computer um, terminal, whatever it is, whatever you're using, get it up there and get it identified. And once you have all those potential steps, it's now time to start putting them into some lines of operation or some sort of timeline associated with, um, with accomplishing an objective. And that's when you do that litmus test again. You ask yourself, does this action step here really apply directly to accomplishing this objective, or will it have any kind of uh, bearing on uh, making this objective a reality? And if it doesn't, you eliminate it. If it does, you keep it and you put it into your line of operation or you put it into your, your timeline,
0: as it were. And once so you do have we, all We those, haven't actually yep. started executing it. We're just... We're no, at the information this, gathering and, and going this through This is the, it all about so building the plan, building yeah. the plan.
1: And... Um, and, and developing the action steps that will help you accomplish um, the execution further on down the road. But um, once you have your timeline and you've assigned now accountability to each one of those action steps and uh, a, a time for delivery uh, of that action step, now we have um, the team built into it to where we know who's doing what, when, where, and how, and what the responsibilities for getting it done are so we can now at least have some sort of um, plan in hand as it were so we have this plan it looks like it might be pretty good uh, but then we do something a little different um, in, in our world we, uh, we actually run it against um, uh, an adversary we, we practice it against an adversary we practice it against the red forces we'll actually have somebody with knowledge of how we do things and knowledge of, of the marketplace or knowledge of the competition come in and look at our plan and basically tear it apart tell us why it's not going to work they will perform the red team functions. It's not a pretty sight when you've built this plan. It's your baby. It's going to work. It's got all the components you thought were necessary, and
0: somebody comes in and just shreds it. Um, I and the that's correct, their the thing is that's It's critically important here to uh, make sure you leave the ego at the door, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You actually just have to sit back and listen. And some of the points they're going to make are going to be completely valid. Some of the points they're going to make, um, may show that they really didn't understand um, the objective fully, and some of the points they're going to make are are just um, already incorporated somewhere else. So you have to pick that out, but you're really, really trying to pick those jewels of information out to what they're telling you, to where they're actually poking holes in the plan so you can patch them up and you can fix them. And uh, once the red team is completed, and the red team actually can be accomplished by two sources. You can bring in an outside organization, uh, somebody close to the team that knows what you're doing, or you can actually just turn your hats around and you can red team it yourself. And um, it, it, the whole concept of red team actually provides, um, provides two valuable um, pieces to the whole planning process. Number one, you know it's going to be red team from the onset. I mean, once you create your objective, you know that down around step five, somebody's going to have a look at this before you launch it. So the planning process goes a lot quicker. You also um, know that once somebody does red team it, that it has had an outside look and it will be a more robust plan uh, as it is launched or as it is executed. So those are the two critical key components of why you'd want to do a red team or why you'd want to hold a red team. But once um, you have all that information, you have all that input, you now go back and, and you fix it and you modify it and you finalize it. Well, not quite finalize it because we look at step six as planning for contingencies. We look at each one of those action steps, and we look at choke points, we look at potential um, late areas, we look at critical path, and we look at those aspects of where the plan might fall down, or most likely to fall down, and we start planning for contingencies. What if this action step here doesn't happen on time? What if Jim just cannot get the resources necessary for him to... uh, uh, to get the site up and operating um, by this date. Uh, what if? And we, we ask those what if questions and we, we look at trigger points. Um, if, if we ask this question on a contingency, how will we trigger a response to it? Um, so, we, we pick those points and we decide that uh, it might be date oriented, it might be a uh, lack of allocation of a resource towards that step, or it might be something that actually triggers us to move in a different direction. And at this point in our planning process, we actually pull out um, what we need to do in the event that this doesn't happen. In, in my world, it's, um, you know, we, we plan for um, taking off four airplanes. Well, what if we get to the ramp and then we have a maintenance non-delivery and we only have three? Uh, do we still go? What if we get to the air refueling track instead of uh, three you know, tankers, there's only two? What if we get over top of the, um, the target area and, um, you know, we're planning on clear weather to see the target and we've got a full cloud cover? Do we continue on? Do we turn around? Do we go to an alternate target? What do we do? What if, what if, what if? So we're always asking these what if questions during the planning phase because we don't want to get up there and, and find out that, um, you know, we could have really prepared for this and we never did, so we don't know what we're doing now. So we'll always, always plan for contingencies. Now, I'm not talking about the whole worldwide open um, aspect of it, but something within your control that
0: you can actually handle in the realm of your plan. So I was just going to bring that up, Rick, actually. In a, in a scenario like that, there is multiple things that could happen. I mean, how do you plan for, you know, uh, for anything to happen? Because you, the imaginable could happen, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know,
1: that that does. It, it does happen.
0: Um, but,
1: you know, you have to know where to deviate from the plan or where you can deviate from the plan, but you also have to know when you can come back to it. So there are going to be things that take you away from the plan. There are going to be things that we just hadn't counted on, that you can't count on. I mean, stuff that is just totally beyond your control. But what we're trying to do with the contingencies is look for, Areas that you can control or potentially can react to if you can't control
0: okay that makes a lot of sense so where where do we go next after we get all those planning uh you know done well the
1: um the plan has to be put into operation, but before you can actually get out there and execute it your, your team's got to know what that plan consists of, and it's not just a, as easy as you know sending it down an email wire and letting them read it. Um, what we'll do is we'll pull all the components um, or the individuals associated with the plan, with execution responsibilities, into a briefing, into an execution-style briefing, and we'll actually cover the plan in detail. It's not a um, it's not a conversation. It really is an execution-style briefing, which we cover the scenario, we cover the specific objective, we identify those threats and resources and we look specifically at who does what, when, where and how and their specific um, activities that are gonna take them through the execution process. And spend a lot of time on contingencies, spend a lot of time on the what ifs during the briefing process. Once we're ready to walk out of there, before we walk out of that briefing, there are questions and answers, Uh, there are making sure that everybody that has some sort of execution responsibility fully understands what that end picture is in mind, that specific objective looks like when we're completed it, and they also know what their responsibilities and their timing in the whole um, operation looks like. So it's very specifically briefed. And then it's time uh, to get out there and turn and burn. It's actually time to get out there and execute. When we, um, when we do the execution aspect of it, we talked about um, some of the aspects that crop up in, in our everyday execution in business, and that is the concept of task saturation. So that's where that whole concept plays into, is during that execution phase when you're out there working uh, at, uh, you know, a thousand knots of closure on another airplane or working with uh, 25 different clients at the same time who are all wanting information from you and services from you at the same time, what do you do and how do you uh, eliminate your task-saturating uh, aspects of it? And that is through, as I said earlier, the the use or the concepts of checklists. That's where that comes in very, very importantly. And the uh, concept of mutual support. What is your team doing to help you out? How are they looking after you in your task-saturating aspects? And then something we didn't uh, we briefly touched on, but our our scan or our cross-check pattern. What is your focus? Your primary focus is client satisfaction or is it that performance report on one of your employees that, um, that needed to get accomplished? Both of which are very, very important, but at any given time, where should your focus be? When, we, um, when we're executing in the weather, um, in a simple um, getting from point A to point B, and it's at night or uh, blind in the clouds, uh, it can be a very task-saturating um, situation. And we operate primarily on instruments at that point in time because we can't see the horizon. So our objective at this point in time is to keep the airplane upright and flying straight. And we do that um, with respect to an attitude indicator. And our attitude indicator is, is an instrument that tells us, you know, whether we're banking, whether we're climbing or descending. And that is our primary focus when we're flying in the clouds. As with your business, as I said earlier, it might be that client satisfaction is your primary focus when you're completely overwhelmed or flying in the clouds. So there are other instruments on that panel. There's an airspeed indicator, a heading indicator, you know, bank turn needle. There's um, other aspects that need to be brought in. But my primary control instrument controlling my business, my cockpit, is that attitude indicator. I'm always coming back to that in a hub and spoke pattern, making sure I'm incorporating those other instruments into my business, but my primary focus becomes an attitude indicator. And how does that apply to business? Well, when you do have those 25 clients, when you do have all those other outside issues, where's your primary focus? On your client satisfaction aspect and how you're achieving that goal or that metric, But then again, you do have those other emails, you do have those other phone calls, you have those personal issues cropping in, you have um, those performance reports required, you have the hires, you have the interviews. All of those are very important, but the primary focus at this point in time, as you start to become more and more saturated, is how you're providing that client satisfaction, even though you are taking into account all of those other performance instruments as opposed to control instruments. Once we get back on the ground, once we've planned, we've briefed, we've executed, what's next? Well, in our world, it's uh, it's debrief. We actually step back from the execution process, step back from what has just happened with our results in hand, and we hold what we call a nameless, rankless debrief. Um, Without fear of retribution, without fear of attribution, we actually pull our name tags off, our rank off, and we we sit down and close the door and uh, hash it out. What well, went keeps right? everybody on the same level playing field, right? You bet. And, and that's, that's really important to build that culture in your organization to where you can close the door and you can find out what went right and what went wrong because it's not about who's right. It's not about who's wrong or who screwed up. Let's get down below that, um, that interpersonal relationship. Let's get down to the processes that enabled us to do very, very well or the processes that enabled us to not do very well at all, and let's fix those issues. Um, because that's what really caused the problem in the first place. It's not that so-and-so really messed up his portion or her portion of the execution. It's there was something underlying that did not permit them to excel because they're all professionals. And I'm sure you can say that to just about anybody in your organization. They're there to do a good job and um, there's something that definitely did not permit them to do a good job in this or that instance. So let's dig down and find out what it was, and let's bring that to the surface, and not just the personal aspect of you know they screwed up.
0: And that's one of that the things I like. Rick, really in the book, about. and Murph mentioned this in the book, was that the the leader starts and starts self-criticizing what they did uh, in in the debrief. Did I read that correctly?
1: Absolutely. That's a key component of building that attitude, that nameless, frankness. Think about it. There's always going to be a, a leadership gradient uh, somewhere in, in every team. There has to be somebody leading that team. Uh, and everybody will be a little deferential as they're, as they're looking towards that individual and not willing to speak up. But if that individual comes out and puts it out on the table, that, hey, I really messed up this piece, this piece, and this piece um, – that's going to open up the rest of them for, all right, well, I guess it's okay to lay it on the table because we've got to get past, like I said, that, that personal aspect and drive down towards the processes below it that actually we're messing things up. Or, or you know, I, I keep talking about um, errors uh, in the execution, but it's also about bringing out those successes in the execution portion as well because those are the things we really want to pass on to the other organizations or to the other um, units or or divisions in the company that, hey, we really did this and it really worked well and you should try it or we really did this and it didn't work very well at all and you should not try it. So those are the type of lessons learned that come out of that debrief and pass throughout the entire organization, accelerating uh, the learning process throughout the organization. It's just not about everybody learning their own lessons it's about accelerating the entire organization through this process of
0: passing around lessons learned. And so and the end goal, of course, going through this whole process uh, is to end up with a win. And, and
1: how you end up with a win is, is just is The organization has now become a continuous learning organization uh, from its own mistakes, from its uh, successes. And it's passing that information not only along to the same team over and over on continual execution, but it's passing it through the other teams throughout the rest of the organization,
0: and that's where we believe the win is. and that's a, that's a that's fantastic uh, way to look at the whole planning and debrief. I think Rick um, I think if you look at the old whole planning architecture we just talked about, I think a lot yeah you mentioned a lot of companies do the, have the plan, they know how to execute. They have the checklist to keep them on track and avoid task uh, saturation. Is it a fair comment to say that most of them fall short at the debrief level?
1: I would say 90% of the organizations we work with um, fall short of the debrief. They plan. They might communicate that plan. They get out there, and they're pretty good executors. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. And um, then they go right back to the planning phase. Uh, They really never step back, and we ask them, why? Why don't you? And the common answer is we don't have the time. Uh, My common comment is you can't afford not to take the time. Because you'll find that if you don't debrief, you're going to continue to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. And those same lessons are going to cost you more time. They're going to cost your company more capital. They're going to cost more employees. They're going to cost more of your resources um, than if you would take the time now to debrief the activities that have just happened.
0: Well, it's the old saying I heard. I can't remember who said it but it's doing the same thing, expecting different results. And that was the definition of insanity. That would be Einstein, yeah. Yeah. So, Rick, we've got like uh, five minutes left here on the program today. Tell us a little bit about Afterburner and what you do as a company to help small businesses uh, succeed in, you know, avoid tax saturation, help them with their planning and infrastructure. Uh, what does Afterburner do to help uh, small businesses out there? Well, we've talked about many of the concepts that we uh, we employ um,
1: in our in our military fighter aviation, and uh, and compared them a little bit to how they work in business. But afterburner specifically, um, I don't like to say we do anything from one-hour keynotes all the way through eighteen-month organizational development programs. But specifically, when we're looking at working with businesses, it's it's an introduction of these concepts into the business, and it really is a a cultural change. We change the language. Uh, You start talking about the concepts of debrief. You start talking about the concept of red team, task saturation. These new terms, new meanings take on a different life as you bring them into a company, and they start to instill these new processes, these new thinking ways. Um, We help organizations take a specific objective, and, and through this rapid precision planning process, this six steps to mission planning, we call it, we help them develop a plan of action and put that plan of action into play. And we come back, um, whether it's by telephonic debriefs or whether it's in person, and help them along the ex- execution process as they're executing the plan and, and coach them through the way, and then debrief that plan at its midpoint, at its end point, or somewhere where we might need to redirect it or potentially need to redirect it. So we help them very specifically in this planning um, aspect by uh, helping them develop the objective, put the plan together, help them then execute it as we follow along during their execution, and then help them debrief it.
0: And I mentioned at the beginning of the show about the DVD that I happen to watch in the book, Flawless Execution, which you can buy at any uh, bookstore, chapters, borders uh, in the U.S., and I'm sure uh, you find it in any major bookstore. I would highly recommend you uh, get that book and, uh, and it's a good read. Uh, there's a DVD, uh, Rick. How does somebody get the DVD? Uh, I think visit the website. Is that correct? Visit the website um,
1: afterburnercanada.com, uh, and the uh, uh, the book, uh, as you said, online, Amazon, or um, uh, through the website as well. You can get it there.
0: And how do we but, engage with you, Rick? If we want to take the next step, what's the best way to reach out to you? There's a uh, on our website afterburnercanada.com. Um, there's a contact
1: page uh, if you have any interest or any information please fill out the contact page and uh, and send that right through to us and we'll get it then uh, send you a dvd and uh, get in contact with you please put a phone number there that's probably the quickest way for us to get back to you
0: and if we're if we since our show goes worldwide uh what areas of the world we we mentioned Canada and England and I think also Australia and the states of course uh, since since we are broadcasting using the internet worldwide the main page, I do believe, is afterburner.com. Is that correct? Um, afterburner com,
1: And from that site, you can get to uh, any of our locations in Australia, New Zealand, um, Canada, UK, and Ireland. We've been um, in 18 countries around the world uh, putting programs and, and
0: keynote speeches and organizational development programs on. Great, Rick. I, I really appreciate you taking your time on a Friday to. Come and join us on Small Business IT Radio. Uh, I look forward to talking with you once again after the after the New Year about even how you can help our organization and go forward from there. Any any last words of wisdom before we uh, end the program today? Well, all I can say it's all about execution.
1: It's all about getting things done. And um, my wish is to you that, uh, that
0: you have a very prosperous New Year. Thanks, Rick, for joining us. And... Um, We will love to have you back on uh, sometime in 2008 to see how things are coming with Afterburner and find any other topics that you can help us with. Just a reminder, as we get into the last minute here of the program, uh, next week is our last show for 2007, and we're joined by uh, Mary Smith, or Marie Smith. Uh, I had the luxury of meeting Marie on uh, Facebook, of all places, and she has a profitable uh, business on Facebook and uh, we're going to share some tips around how to use Facebook to uh, generate some business. And look forward to us in the new year. We have a very special program with Dell Canada, some executive from Dell, talk about their new channel program and their small business initiative. We also have uh, Larry talking from For Profit talking about creating a culture of accountability. And that's all in the new year. SmallbusinessITradio.com is the website to get up-to-date information on what we're doing. And tell your friends about it, and let's grow this uh, community that we have here. And I wish everybody a very uh, gr- uh, happy new- uh, weekend, successful week next week, and we will, uh, we'll chat with you all later. Thank you very much.